Thanks for listening to WBAI.org and WBAI 99.5 FM New York. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and the people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. So this is the last edition of Driving Forces for 2021. Usually I would be here with the one and only Jeff Simmons. I continue to be thankful that he's finally decided to take a much overdue break from everything. So Happy New Year to Jeff, who brought me on board here at WBAI to do this program with him back in 2018. And we will see you in 2022, my darling co-host. In the meantime, I'm very glad to be here with you, with our engineer, Reggie. And coming up, we're going to be joined by two great guests who will be talking to us about the biggest news stories of the year. In the meantime, I do want to wish you a very happy and healthy holiday season. Uh, No way to really say this other than to say it's been a hell of a year all around the world. And of course, right in our favorite place, New York. COVID rates continue to rise here in New York. In uh, her latest update today, Governor Kathy Hochul said in part, quote, as the new year approaches, it's more important than ever that we take the necessary precautions to keep each other safe in the face of the COVID winter surge. It's up to all of us to make 2022 a safer, healthier year than 2021 was. Get vaccinated, get boosted, mask up and avoid large indoor public gatherings when possible. Unquote. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and the Delta and Omicron variants continue to take their toll, not just in terms of lives lost, but also on how we view the world, each other and ourselves. If it tells you anything, the most read news story of 2021 in The New York Times had in the headline, quote, there's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. Languishing, in case you didn't run across that story, is described there as the no man's land between depression and flourishing. And it's what a lot of people were feeling as this pandemic has dragged on. But we also had a pretty wild year in terms of politics, crime, even the trajectory of our democracy, starting right at the beginning of the year with the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. So In short, again, lots to talk about this year. So to help me break all that down, I'm going to be joined right now by one of my favorite all-time newsmen, somebody I worked with personally for many years and have read for even more years. Uh, Larry McShane is a veteran city reporter. Pardon me. I got so excited I couldn't even speak. Of four decades, the last 14 years with the New York Daily News. The award-winning Seton Hall University graduate was a two-time Associated Press New York State Staffer of the Year and was honored by the New York Press Club for Best Feature Story of the Year in 2006. He's the author of three books, two of them on organized crime. So great job with all that, Larry, and great to have you join us here today on WBAI. Oh, Thanks so much. It's, it's great to talk to you, Celeste. Thank you so much. So to get started, just to have people uh, get to know the uh, the name behind the byline, tell everybody a little bit about how you came to be a reporter. Did you always want to be a newsman? Did you kind of fall into it somehow? Uh, when I was a little kid growing up in Jersey, my father, who, uh, who was a Manhattan guy, um, used to bring home the daily news every night from work. And I would, uh, as I still do often, read it from the back forward, start with the sports pages. And uh, then as I got older, I thought, you know, maybe I could maybe I could do this. So, uh, you know, I went to college. I majored in communications. I landed a job with Associated Press right out of school. And, uh, you know, that was almost 42 years ago. Wow. 
It's amazing. So, and I've, I've enjoyed your work for a long time and worked with you, uh, beside you and so on. And, you know, obviously as a, a reporter and a rewrite man, you work on all the biggest stories. You have to be prepared to write about pretty much everything, anything. So, uh, what, what do you feel like were some of the most important storylines you followed this year, either nationally or locally or both? Well, you know, for New York and, and, you know, mostly now the daily news is, is strictly New York uh, coverage, very good coverage, I should add. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I thought the mayor's race, you know, was at the top of the thing, the whole, uh, kind of look back at de Blasio's eight years. And, uh, the other one that jumps out was, uh, that we saw more homicides this year than we had last year, which is, you know, a reversal of a, of a trend that goes back 20 years. That, and that's really, that's really intense. Let's, let's take those separately just for a moment here. So first of all, the mayor's race. So we're, we're looking at, uh, a lot of people, I think, having a, a tough time with Bill de Blasio after eight years. I'm just wondering, do you feel like he gets a, he's getting a bad rap because people like to complain about everything or he's getting blamed for stuff that isn't his fault? Or do you think that, you know, do you feel like you're hearing people being kind of right to question his performance over the last two terms? Well, you know, there's a, we're talking about a mayor who had a little bit of a scandal, right? Mm-hmm. Very early on in this thing. And, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly a mandate from the voters of New York when he was reelected. So, uh, you know, I, I think he, he often puts himself in the line of fire with, with certain things that he does. I mean, even something as, as kind of small, as as riding in uh, riding in his van to all these events, you know what I mean. Which uh, he took a lot of grief for going back in the van to work out in his gym. It was kind of a lot of the public stuff. I felt was was a, a bit at odds with um, you know what he purported to be. Right. And even Mike Bloomberg, of course, rather famously wrote yeah. the subway. If there was ever a guy who could, uh, you know, afford to take a cab or something like that or, or didn't, uh, didn't down or a plane, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just had to pick, pitch which one of the fleet he was going to, uh, roll out yeah. for the day. But yeah, I guess uh, optics. optics were a problem for, for the de Blasio, uh, mayorality. Yeah, that that he wasn't really living up to uh, campaign promises. And a lot of people do that. But uh, he did, uh, to be fair, let me be fair for a moment here. I mean, there was some stuff that he said he was going to get done that he did get done, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I would say really, especially in the second, the second term, you know, uh, you throw in the, the kind of ill-fated run for the presidency and uh, – you know, it seemed like there was a bit of ennui uh, around City Hall during the second term. Do you feel like he stays in public life? I, I can't imagine after what happened in the presidential race that he would consider a position on the national stage. So I don't know. What does that leave you? You know, uh, would he run for governor? I I don't think so. But you never know, Right. Uh, but what else is out there? 
Yeah, it's it's sort of tough. I mean, and then to think about him maybe going back into a presidential administration or something. I don't know. I mean, what's out there like a cushy consultant's job, being a professor, making some money, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm sure there's a million things he could do. Right. But in politics, I don't I don't know what the next step would be. Exactly. Well, I should probably ask you before we move on to some of the other stuff, you know, what you think the next step is going to be for uh, Andrew Cuomo. I think on the last program, we were talking about how many people must be terribly disappointed at at Andrew Cuomo's fate. But uh, Bill de Blasio has got to be the most heartbroken of them all. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, the Cuomo thing. uh, It it resolved itself very quickly. And I don't see despite the efforts of those in his camp, how it will ever be unresolved any other way, you know? Uh, And I I really thought even even yesterday, you know, the Westchester DA, no criminal charges, but she confirms that, you know, yes, indeed, this happened. Uh, So this is not speculation or or people rumor-mongering or anything. These cases have been investigated, and, and the prosecutors who looked into them I said there was a foundation. We're talking to Larry McShane of the New York Daily News reporter and rewrite man previously with the Associated Press. And Larry, obviously, we got to talk about, you know, covering the biggest stories of the year. Talk about covering covid. Um, One thing that's been interesting to me and participating in it, but also reading about it and talking about it is what was it like? What has it been like actually doing the job with covid uh, changing the way we do everything. What 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 has it been like being a reporter in the time of COVID? Yeah, I mean, for for the Daily News, I think the biggest thing that happened during the time of COVID was we lost our newsroom. Right. Um, you know, so it's been an adjustment for me after God Almighty four decades in a newsroom to suddenly be working down in my basement by myself and. You know, everything is email and Slack and private messaging. And, you know, you don't have that, you know, as, as you well know, you can just lean over the desk and yell at somebody if you need something. And they can yell back at you. And that's how things get done. And, and that's all missing, which I think has complicated things a bit. Yeah, it's it's lonely when you don't have anybody to throw something at, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Swear at. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But... Um, and, and in terms of covering it, obviously, this is this is a story that is not going away. I mean, what what should we be watching for? Is I guess the first breaking story is going to be if we have a major surge after New Year's or what? What should we be looking for? Yeah, I mean, uh, surge, obviously, especially with the new variant. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if the numbers that we've seen go up start to level off. Uh, I guess one of the little twists with this latest variant is like more people are getting sick, but less people are dying. I mean, does that turn out to be a good thing or a bad thing that more people are getting infected? Uh, and, and even if less people are dying, you know, so, uh, you know, like, like everything with this pandemic going back to March, 2020, it's all kind of guesswork. You know, we're in uncharted territory and uh, I think every time, you think maybe we're going to get a little break or something's going to break right for us. It, it doesn't seem to go that way, or at least it hasn't yet. 
And it'll be interesting to see, too, how, how things work out in terms of mandates and restrictions and so on under a new mayor administration, right? Yeah, you know, uh, it'll be very interesting to see what, what Adams does on uh, on a number of levels. You know, um, if you think of the guys who have come before him, you know, there, there's nobody with that kind of a pedigree, right? You know, police, uh, Brooklyn borough president. Um, you know, if as you know, you, you've been in the business. He's a guy that's been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's got a voice and he makes his voice heard. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how, uh, how it all works out when he gets into City Hall, I guess, on January 1st. Yeah, definitely. Definitely has a, a big footprint in terms of public service. I think I met him back when he was a, a state senator uh, when I was working up in Albany for the news. So definitely known him for a while. But I will be interested to see how he does it uh, on this executive level as opposed to being, uh, you know, sort of uh, limited to to making decisions for one borough or being part of a big legislative body will be very interesting to see what he does, especially coming out of the gate, which brings us also to the other big story you mentioned, uh, of course, that being crime, crime in the city and the homicide rate. You you mentioned that a little bit earlier in our talk, but go back, you know, looking back at 2021, what did we see really in terms of crime? Well, I mean, I went back and looked at some clips today. The first story I did this year was a uh, Brooklyn woman in a, who was attacked with a machete. And then last week I did a story about uh, some random guy uh, in Queens who three days apart shot and robbed two young men on the streets. So, I mean, to me, that's sort of encapsulated. You know what I mean? Not in any one borough. Um, a lot of it somewhat random. Uh, you know, I guess the pandemic deserves the, uh, some of the blame. Um, but, you know, the homicide numbers were up again this year, uh, which is not a good sign, uh, particularly after, you know, New York had such a great long run of the numbers dropping, dropping, dropping every year. Yeah, absolutely. And and I certainly remember in uh, particularly in, in 2020 during the uh, uh, the sort of earlier onset of the pandemic and then later into that year, we were also looking at a lot of uh, if they weren't formally classified as hate crimes, what appeared to be targeting uh, particularly Asian-American people um, yeah. associated with the with the pandemic. Yeah, I just did a story about that, uh, that woman who was walking up the. Uh, from the subway, I believe, in the East Village when the guy just yanked her by her purse strap and uh, and she wound up going into a coma and dying. There seemed to be an awful lot of that last last summer for sure. Um, you know, I don't, it, it, it also seems to be, uh, you know, that the city is having a big problem dealing with the homeless population. So, uh, you know, I think that's part of it as well. Right, of course, and talking about uh, homelessness, talking about uh, mental health treatment, and maybe sure. that's part of a bigger conversation about about the role of police officers and what police officers should be expected to do, what they're equipped to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I guess the, the problem with that is how do you train people for something that's going to change with every single incident? You know, no two incidents are the same. Uh, it, it's a very daunting, uh, daunting task. And uh, aside from all this uh, 
uplifting news. Of course, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've had to work on a couple of fun stories this year, something, something that we can, uh, you know, look back at this year and say it wasn't all completely bad, all completely depressing. Anything, uh, anything come to mind? Anything that you enjoyed writing about? Yeah, I'll tell you the best story I did uh, all year. I got a uh, message from this guy out in Brooklyn. Uh, he's in his mid-60s. He and a bunch of his old buddies from uh, PS98 out got together a reunion stickball game after like 50 years. Wow. And uh, they went to the old playground where they used to play. There were seven of them. And uh, I went out there and just hung out and watched these guys play stickball. It was just fantastic. They were having so much fun. And a story ran in the Sunday paper, so it got some space. That was, I'd say, by far my favorite story of the year. That's awesome. Finally, people able to do something fun, something safe, something that didn't involve, you know, getting an injection or standing in a line or (laughs) (laughs) Zoom. Double masking. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, any anything big that I should be on the lookout for in in twenty twenty two? I didn't even get to ask you about sports. You're such a sports guy. Yeah, it's been a bad year for the Giants, so let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, definitely, definitely, we'll do that. Well, Larry McShane, um, where can people find out more about you and your work and read all your stuff and about you? Yeah, I mean, the books are available online, Amazon. Uh, or Tell everyone the names store. of the books so we know what to look for. Yes, uh, the first book on policing is called Cops Under Fire. Uh, the second book, which is on Vincent Chin Giganti, the old Genovese family boss, is just called Chin. And the third book is about a guy who used to run the Philadelphia mob named Ralph Natale, and that book is called The Last Don Standing. Um, Perfect. Yeah, so all good. All good. Listen, thank you so much for having me on. It's great. Totally appreciate it. Larry McShane of the New York Daily News, great job, and Happy New Year to you and yours. Same to you, see cats. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Larry McShane of the New York Daily News here on Driving Forces on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Jeff Simmons is on break, but he will be back soon, and I wish him and you, again, a healthy and happy holiday season. So we're looking back at the year in news, particularly in New York, in these final hours of 2021. We just spoke with one of the all-time great rewrite men of New York City, Larry McShane of the New York Daily News. Uh, before we move on to our next guest, who's going to talk to us even more about what was a big deal in 2021 in news. Just want to take a very brief moment to remind you that we are only able to keep these important conversations going with your help here at WBAI. We are non-commercial, non-corporate, free speech radio. Please take a few moments today. Go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you can to support this station. You can make a one-time donation. You can become a BAI buddy and make a recurring donation. That's WBAI.org. And uh, as I mentioned in the last few programs, right now we are in the middle or actually possibly getting towards the end, although we may extend it. 
uh, of a big fundraising drive to support the WBAI Tower Fund. And if you go to the website, you'll see a big blue button right there on the front page, big splash. You can read a lot more about the Tower Fund there. But basically, and Jeff Simmons and I, my co-host Jeff Simmons and I, taped a short message about why the Tower Fund is such a vital part of our winter fundraising here at WBAI. We're going to hear that in just a moment. But the basic deal is that we are trying to get set to maintain the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square to catch up on rent and to fund that program through the coming year. We can only do that if you, our listeners, all pitch in and help us out. So I hope Reggie right now, before we get to our next guest, is going to share with us this brief message that Jeff and I recorded for you about the Tower Fund. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. And I'm Jeff Simmons. We host Driving Forces here on WBAI. We bring you thoughtful conversations about what really matters to New Yorkers on politics and public policy. And we make time to hear from you, our listeners, not just during the holidays, but all year round. To keep these critical conversations on the air, we need your help. From now until New Year's, we're building up our funds to pay rent on our broadcast tower at Four Times Square. Go to towerfund.wbai.org today to help us keep free speech radio alive in the greatest city in the world. That's towerfund.wbai.org. It's easy to donate. It only takes a minute. Just go to towerfund.wbai.org. And remember, your contribution is tax deductible. WBAI is getting its financial house in order. Help us keep our signal as strong and as clear as our commitment to bringing you the best in news, music, and culture. Give to WBAI this holiday season. Be heard. And that was just a brief message about the WBAI Tower Fund. You can go to WBAI.org. Just click the blue button, give to the Tower Fund. We can keep bringing you great programs with a clear signal like Deadline NYC, Max Politics, Good Morning Nueva York, from the soundboard, which is hosted by our own engineer here, Reggie Johnson. So please check it out, WBAI.org. Just click Ways to Donate or click right on the Tower Fund. Every gift helps us keep free speech radio alive when we need it most. So you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York. I'm your host, Celeste Katz-Marston. We are counting down the final hours before we can kiss 2021 goodbye. I'm sure everyone's real broken up that this year's coming to an end. And we're looking back at the biggest stories of the year. Just a moment ago, we spoke with Larry McShane of the New York Daily News. And to continue our journey down this very rocky uh, memory lane, we are now going to be joined by Matt Troutman. He is citywide beat reporter for Patch. He's previously worked as an investigator investigative journalist for Inside Edition, and he's covered government and criminal justice at newspapers in Indiana and Michigan. So Matt Troutman, great to have you here with us on Driving Forces today. Great to be here. Thanks. So just to just to get started, tell us a little bit about what it's been like working the citywide beat with all the restrictions and disruptions and changes caused by COVID. How have you done your job differently if you have done it differently? Well, I think you're right when you say it's been a rocky year. You know, reporters are human beings. We feel the same psychological strains that everyone else has. And I'll be honest, it's taken a toll in that way. Uh, so much of my job now is much more remote than it used to be. Now, Patch is a small online outlet, so there's always been a remote element to our work. 
But, you know, we used to go to the newsroom regularly. You know, I used to be able to have conversations with my coworkers. We still do that uh, over Slack and Zoom and that sort of thing. But that sort of in-person collaboration has kind of gone, gone by the wayside. And that also goes, you know, into reporting. Uh, there's less shoe leather reporting, I would say. You know, fewer face-to-face interviews uh, that are still that are going on, at least compared to pre-COVID. Not to say that, uh, you know, I'm not uh, going outside and, you know, covering such and such event, going to interview uh, somebody. But getting back to the psychological aspect, it's just, you know, harder in some ways to get out there and connect with people. And that's a real shame. You know, in terms of what you were just talking about, um, it's interesting because I think that if you want to be out there as an intrepid reporter talking to people, you know, there are probably people, especially if you're covering politics, uh, who are probably perfectly okay to stay away from the media, right? Like, fine with it. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's been, you know, uh, for people in government who don't want to have you know, the spotlight of the media on them, it's been a golden age. And... So much of what reporting, good reporting in my mind, is is being there, you know, having a, a direct conversation with the people, whether it's an elected official who doesn't exactly want to talk to you and you have to corner them, or it's you know, somebody, a clerk or a secretary at a government office where, you know, making building a personal connection with them is, you know, the, the difference between having good information and no information at all. We're talking to Matt Troutman of Patch about the biggest stories of 2021. And uh, you took a look at, you did a, a, a pretty serious survey story on the outgoing mayor, Bill de Blasio, and you wrote about uh, the promises that he left unfulfilled. Tell us a little bit about, about what you, uh, what you found in, in making that assessment. Well, it's been kind of a uh, subgenre of uh, uh, pieces as, uh, you know, the mayor is, uh, you know, leaving office pretty much as we speak right now. And he's made a lot of promises over eight years. Now, I need to preface anything I say by saying, you know, any politician, you know, uh, makes a lot of promises and doesn't necessarily follow through on them. There's a lot of things that are out of their control. But, you know, de Blasio has had a pretty good uh, success rate on some of the things that he's promised. You know, universal pre-K, even Curtis Lewa, uh, the uh, Republican candidate for mayor who didn't like anything that Mayor de Blasio did, credited the mayor with that. And by some measures, he did well on closing the gap between the two cities, which was one of his big uh, campaign calls. And the record on, say, things like police reform, he got rid of stop and frisk. But there are other aspects of his legacy there that are arguably a lot more mixed. Now, there's a lot of progressive dissatisfaction with uh, Mayor de Blasio, and I would note that I worked in places elsewhere in the country where progressive leaders would absolutely kill to just boast some of the accomplishments that uh, Mayor de Blasio has had. Now, this being said, this is New York City, and the mayor has fallen short on a lot of big promises. You know, one of the things that he he came onto the scene with right from the outset said, I'm going to tax the rich in order to uh, move forward on my agenda of closing the gap between the two cities. Well, the rich are still, you know, paying uh, 
you know, that is paying less taxes than the mayor would want. And the mayor's team has told me, well, you know, ultimately that was uh, up to the state, you know, where it has been DOA, especially under former Governor Cuomo. Now, you could argue that being a good and successful politician, he would find a way to push through something like that. Uh, but there's other, you know, uh, big and little promises throughout his uh, time in office that he just has failed to follow through on. Uh, it goes from a little, like, say, during the George Floyd protests, uh, he made a big announcement that the city would make Juneteenth a city holiday, meaning workers wouldn't have to go to work. Well, fast forward a year, and Juneteenth was not a city holiday. He got rightfully called out on that broken promise. Now, another promise that he said on day one when he was a candidate at the back of the field was he's going to do away with her horse corn, uh, horse-drawn carriages Excuse me, in Central Park. Well, they're still there, and they're going to trot into the Adams administration. So I think many of his critics would say, and there might be some justification to this, he had a penchant for making big, splashy announcements, like, say, he's going to cut a billion dollars from the NYPD budget, and then doing little to no follow-through on actually doing those. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. We're talking about the biggest New York stories of 2021 with Matt Troutman, citywide reporter for Patch. And Matt, just staying on that, since you mentioned some of the intersection of uh, city government, state government, you also did an interesting piece where you looked at what it meant for New York that de Blasio and former Governor Andrew Cuomo were always sort of at each other's throats. And we've talked about that here on the program about the fact that these guys didn't get along. But you looked a little bit more closely at what that actually meant for regular New Yorkers. What did you find out there? Well, I I think at each other's throats is a little bit of an understatement. Uh, (laughs) they, they They had a bitter rival which I think is like very fair to say, and both men would acknowledge that. You know, in casual conversation with um, you know people that I know that are more casual news consumers, they would often you know say, "Hey, did you uh, hear the mayor did this?" And uh, after a little bit more you know conversation, it turned out, "Oh no, it was actually former Governor Cuomo who said that." I think that you know New Yorkers could kind of be forgiven. If, in the past with thinking that New York effectively had two mayors, which would be de Blasio and Cuomo. And they, their complete lack of cooperation and communication really didn't help New Yorkers, uh, especially during the start of the pandemic. Uh, if uh, your listeners will recall, the mayor very early on uh, said that New Yorkers should prepare for shelter in place, basically a lockdown, stay inside. Those were very scary days. Almost immediately off after that, the governor came in and uh, in very stern terms said, we'll absolutely not have shelter in place. Well, fast forward again, a few days later, he declared that the state was on something that he called pause, which he took great care uh, to say is not shelter in place. But come on, it was exactly shelter in place. Now, that may be, you know, 
petty bickering in a non-pandemic time, but it arguably became something that is life or death. One report had estimated that in that few-day span between de Blasio's call for shelter-in-place and the announcement of pause, that 17,000 New Yorkers lost their lives. So arguably the delay was deadly. And over the course of the pandemic, Cuomo held extraordinary power. He held extraordinary power even before he was given actual emergency powers. But part of the reason we as New Yorkers and people in the media were following his daily briefings, they had direct impact on what New Yorkers could and could not do in the pandemic. We're talking about things like, could you dine indoors? Was your uh, area under a localized lockdown? And oftentimes these mandates or dictates were completely at, at odds with what the mayor had been talking about. You know, one example is uh, when uh, there were yellow, orange, and red zones uh, of localized lockdowns. That confused almost everybody in New York City because mm. these weren't tied to zip codes, even though these were the things that Mayor de Blasio was concentrating on during that time of that surge in the fall of 2020. Even to this day, uh, the city and the state have completely different ways of calculating the numbers of COVID cases. And part of that stems from the fact that the health departments of the city and state were not communicating. Uh, it's come, come to light in other outlets reporting that uh, a lot of that came down to Cuomo not wanting, Cuomo's administration not wanting to you know, communicate with the city's health department. Now, since uh, Cuomo has left office, and even before then, as he was weakened by the many scandals, uh, Mayor de Blasio has started to take charge more in the local response to the pandemic. It's really hard to imagine, actually, like if Cuomo was still in charge, whether Mayor de Blasio would have the more or less unfettered power to declare mandates, like such as the vaccine mandates for city workers uh, and now for uh, private employers. So, yeah, I, I think uh, fair to say it was a rivalry that impacted New Yorkers, you know, before and after the before and during the pandemic, especially during. And Matt Chapman, uh, we will be watching your reporting for Patch. We'll have to have you back on the show to talk about how things are going to be different between uh, Governor Kathy Hochul and uh, incoming Mayor Eric Adams. I think it's probably fair to say, based on what you were talking about, that it couldn't be any worse than uh, what, what we <laughs> you, saw. You can't, you, can't go, uh, you can't go lower than rock bottom now. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you and follow your work reporting uh, about the city of New York? You could uh, Google Matt Troutman Patch and uh, follow my specific stories, or you could go to patch.com slash subscribe and sign up for one of the newsletters. We have several local ones as well as my citywide one. Perfect. Matt Troutman, citywide reporter for Patch. Thanks for being with here with us uh, here to run down the big stories of 2021 on WBAI. It's my pleasure. Thanks.
You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. We just ran down some of the biggest news stories of the year with Matt Troutman of Patch earlier. Uh, did some of the same on slightly different topics, of course, with Larry McShane of the New York Daily News. Coming up, we're going to give you your big chance to weigh in on the news of the day, the news of the show. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. We're going to take a little musical break, so uh, that'll give you a chance to call in. What was the biggest news story of the year for you? What do you think 2022 is going to be like? Any New Year's resolutions besides, of course, donating more to WBAI? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. And, of course, you can go anytime to WBAI.org and give to the Tower Fund. So start calling in now. We will be right back to hear from you. When the bells all ring and the horns all blow And the couples we know are fondly kissing Will I be with you Or will I be among the missing Maybe it's much too early in the game
And we are back. That was, of course, the incomparable Ellis Fitzgerald here on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and you're listening to Driving Forces. Right now, we're going to get to your calls. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Interested in hearing about what mattered to you in 2021 and what you're hoping for in 2022. So we're going to go to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Good evening. This is John from Brooklyn. Hi, John. Happy New Year. What's on your mind? Happy New Year to you, too. For me, the biggest story was the untold story of the underreporting of the suppression of early treatments for COVID-19 and the true statistics of vaccine reactions and vaccine failures that are only being covered on right-wing and libertarian media and on individual podcasts like the Dark Horse podcast and that of Dr. Robert McCullough. The fact that these elements have never been exposed to a larger audience, including on WBAI with a very few exceptions, seems to me like it's going to be the biggest story for the future. Well, we appreciate your call. Thank you so much, John. And uh, certainly there is a lot of developing information about vaccines. I think that the information that we do have from official sources so far from both uh, government sources and from independent research is uh, we're seeing a couple of things. Number one, that the vaccines are working, that there's still some hesitancy to vaccines, but that the people who are not taking the vaccines and not taking precautions against COVID-19 are largely the people who are getting getting sick. And we're seeing that through the development of different variants and so on. Obviously, we have some ways to go to uh, to convince the people who are still uncomfortable with vaccination. We also do have more therapeutics that can treat people if they do become sick. Uh, but I, I think that uh, generally accepted and call in if you if you don't agree to one, two, two, oh, nine, two, eight, seven, seven, two, one, two, two, oh, nine, two, eight, seven, seven is that uh descriptions of of the um, COVID-19 and its variants becoming an epidemic or a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that does seem to be borne out. I think we have another caller on the line right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, Dave from Queens. I think the Happy New Year. Story that, Happy New Year. Uh, the biggest story that I feel was not covered, the... Um, NYPD and I think the general slowdown, shutdown, not doing their job, because especially after the George Floyd killing a murder, um, there was a, there was and is still in New York City a slowdown. NYPD has stopped working, has basically um, either slowed down, are not present on the streets. And, ha- and that's a story not covered. Uh, NYPD is not happy with the attitude by the public. They're not happy that they're forced to have the cams, the video cams, uh, activated whenever they, you know, encounter events. They're not happy about uh, basically a lot of things. Um, and they're not doing their job. They're not working. And they're not enforced. They're not. They're law enforcement, and they're not enforcing the law. And it's difficult to prove because obviously the 
you know, you can't. New York posted this about five, six years ago when there was a slowdown and they stopped issuing summonses and there's no and, and no one's saying anything about it and there's no reporting about it. And basically on the highways, on the streets, mm. there's I don't know where they are. They sit in their cars and they're on their smartphone and they don't and they don't want to do anything. So you would would you attribute? Do you think that there's a direct correlation between uh, police officers, uh, as you say? I, I'm not I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing, but you're saying that you don't think that the police are doing their jobs. So you think that that is directly that responsible for a rise in crime, or do you think that there could be other factors well, that, associated with a rise in crime? But I, I I don't think I'm on the roads. I mm-hmm. see that there's no one there. There's no presence. Okay. You do not see and, the physical yeah. presence, mm-hmm. right? I see it my, my own eyes. So you are there's no there's no one. You know there's there are you see cops NYP doing the extra extra money that they work on Barnes Noble, Walgreens, and other stores, and the idea there's a presence there. So you see a NYPD okay. officer at the front door of a Dwayne Reed, and there's less likely to, to be crime committed, but that's not done. In general, they're not doing their job. As I see every day, you can see them in their cars. They don't care. They're not interested. They want crime to go, uh, to to be actually done so that they can claim, oh, look at us. Look what's going to happen. They want civil servants, their union, and they dictate, unions dictate policy in New York City. Okay, well, thank you. That's a that's a that's an interesting point uh, that you're you're making there. I'm not sure I totally agree with it, but again, it's not my job to agree or disagree. I think that there might be some sort of. Uh, I don't think it necessarily comes entirely naturally to say that the police want more crime because then you get these sort of uh, indictments of the police or criticisms of the police. But, you know, certainly there is uh, there is a role that is played here in terms of uh, union negotiations with the city uh, on how the police perform their function and when and uh, with what tools and methods. Um, so, so that's definitely something to talk about. And I'm sure that's something that we can talk about that, frankly, deserves an entire program talking about the, the function uh, uh, the structure and function of, of the NYPD. So we can definitely talk about that, but uh, still interested in hearing from you uh, about what you think was the biggest story of 2021 or what you think will be the biggest story of 2022. 212-209-2877 is the number to call here at WBAI. 212-209-2877. And I do just want to take one more opportunity here to remind you that this is a great time to give to WBAI.org. Look, if we didn't need your help, I wouldn't have to keep saying it, but we do have the Tower Fund going. It costs $17,000 a month in rent just to pay for the tower at four times square that gives us our broadcast signal. $17,000 a month. We can use everybody to pitch in. If you make a donation between now and uh, New Year's Eve, you can write this off on your taxes. We are a five 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your gift to WBAI is tax deductible. 
212-209-2877 is the number to call. Go to WBAI.org to give. And I think we have another caller holding. We're going to go to that call right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, it's Russ up in White Plains. Happy New Year, Russ. Thank you, you too. Hey, Celeste, you've heard of organizational psychology, right? I have. Right. And so maybe that last caller didn't understand when you browbeat the police and you say that, hey, it sets people off, the police trigger BIPOC people in the ghetto or wherever they live, and then this guy calls up and complains, where are the police? Do you see that there's a problem there? There's organizational psychology that people aren't paying attention to. The same with COVID. When you make everyone freak out to go get a test, and then test positives go up, what we're really finding out is that Trump was right. If you test everyone, positives go up. And one thing, last thing, Celeste, that caller that said, you know, Received wisdom is the problem. I wonder about you and, and your journalism. Have you checked out this story that the unvaxxed are the source of the problem? Thanks a lot, Celeste. Okay, happy Happy New Year, Russ. And uh, I, I think that it is uh, fairly well known and well understood from uh, local uh, statistics, record keeping of individuals, but also in the aggregate in, in healthcare in this country that we are seeing a larger proportion of people who are unvaccinated uh, contracting the virus, getting sicker and dying as a result of COVID-19. I really don't think that that is up for dispute in any way. But thank you, everybody, for your calls. Really do appreciate it. I uh, want to give you one more reminder, of course, that WBAI needs your help to keep these conversations on the air. If you go to WBAI.org, you will see the big blue button and you can uh, make your donation. We have... Uh, we have time for one more caller, I think. Just one more caller. We're going to make it kind of quick so we can wrap up the program here. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Let's go, Brandon. Okay, that's, uh, is that the whole call? Okay, we have time for the other caller then. Uh, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, Roger from Saddle River, New Jersey. Uh, Hi, Roger, what's on your mind? It's going to be... Hi, uh, for 2002, anecdotally... Two colleagues of mine had strokes, one seven days following the vax and one ten days following the vax. One is recovering, one is not doing well. My nephew's friend, 22 years old, seven to ten days after the booster, dies of a heart attack. Now, I think there's a lot of this stuff that's not getting out. They're burying this stuff. I urge you to check out Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s new book, uh, in, in terms of uh, what's what's really going on. So really appreciate your show. Thanks for the good work. Keep spreading the word. Okay, thank you for your call and uh, have a, a good new year and a safe and healthy new year. Uh, we, I think that is going to wrap up our calls for today. Thank you to everybody who called in. Uh, sorry to anybody who called in and didn't make it. We always wish we had more time, but it's almost a, uh, time to wrap up driving forces for now. Again, this is our last program of the year. Really glad we could be joined by two guests who are really in the know about the biggest stories affecting New York in 2021. Uh, it was Matt Troutman, who's 
news on the citywide beat for Patch. At the top of the hour, of course, Larry McShane, longtime rewrite man for my alma mater, the New York Daily News. So it has been a tough year. I think that's something we can all agree on in our own ways. And I do want to leave you in our last moments here with some very, very brief thoughts from one of my favorite writers from the time I was a kid. You've probably heard of him, E.B. White. And this is a short piece that he wrote for The New Yorker in 1954, and it's entitled, We're All Americans. Dr. Sockman, the Methodist pastor, says the American city is more like a sand pile than a melting pot. People are heaped together, but they do not hold together. Well, we have a letter telling us of an incident when Americans held together beautifully. The writer of the letter went, during his lunch hour, to buy stamps at the small post office in Bloomingdale's basement. Ahead of him in line was a lady who brought things to a standstill by changing her mind about what kind of stamps and envelopes she wanted, by running up a bill of more than $30, and by discovering that she didn't have $30, and could she pay the balance by check? The line grew and grew. After a while, someone ventured to hope, out loud, that she wouldn't change her mind again because he was on his lunch hour. At this, the woman turned on him and said, You aren't even an American, are you? The man was quite shaken by this, but the others in line weren't, and they came to his aid instantly. We're all Americans, shouted one of them, and we are all on the lunch hour. That was no sand pile. People hold together and will continue to hold together, even in the face of abrupt and unfounded charges calculated to destroy. So let's all stick together in 2022. I think wherever we stand on the issues, I think we can all agree that that's our best hope. So thanks for being here with us today and throughout 2021. One more reminder that your contribution to keep free speech radio alive here on WBAI is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to support the Tower Fund and keep free speech radio alive and well in New York. That's WBAI.org. Big thanks and a very happy new year to our engineer, Reggie. To you, our listeners, extra special thanks to my co-host, Jeff Simmons, who will be back with us soon. Jeff, we miss you and Happy New Year. If you missed any part of the show, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or you can check the archive section of WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, wishing you a healthy and happy 2022. Stay tuned to WBAI for the evening news. See you on the radio.
Celeste Katz Marston, co-host of Driving Forces here on WBAI New York. Every week, Jeff Simmons and I work to bring you the best conversations about politics and public policy in the greatest city in the world. But here's something you may not know. It costs $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square. That's right, $17,000 a month just to stay on the air for you. That's why we're asking for your help. Please go to towerfund.wbai.org and give as generously as you can to help keep free speech community radio alive. It's easy to donate and it only takes a minute. Every donation helps WBAI stay on your FM dial with great programming about current events, music, culture, the arts, and much more. We appreciate your support. Please go to towerfund.wbai.org today and show your support for the best in free speech radio. Because the one thing a radio station doesn't need is a silent night. <laughs>